This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. have been looking towards the stars for answers for thousands of years. Ancient civilizations respected the celestial bodies they found in the sky, connecting them to the gods they worshipped and believing that these wandering stars held the properties of those gods. These planets, depending on their position in the sky, would bring about certain events, and depending on their position in relation to other stars and celestial bodies, they could predict the events in our everyday lives. These beliefs became the roots for the pseudoscience known as astrology, beginning somewhere between the 19th and 17th centuries BCE Mesopotamia. Eventually, astrology made its way over to ancient Greece, Rome, and the Arab worlds, where it spread to Central and Western Europe. Of course, astrology has had its influence on many aspects of our modern culture, showing its mark in art and religion. The subject has fascinated people all across time, using it to predict the future or to understand the events unfolding at the present moment. However, today we draw our focus on one particular man whose growing interest in astrology led him to write an orchestral suite that has grown to become one of the most recognizable pieces of music in Western culture. This is the story of Gustav Holst and his orchestral suite, The Planets. This is The Composer Chronicles, a storytelling podcast about music through the ages. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 72, Written in the Stars, Holst and the Planets.
In June 1911, Holst was teaching at Morley College. The full score of Purcell's The Fairy Queen was recently found, and Holst saw this as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him and his students. The Fairy Queen was lost shortly after Purcell's death, and Holst's performance of the work would be the first since the 17th century. Holst and 28 Morley students copied out the complete vocal and orchestral parts over the next 18 months, ending up with 1,500 pages of music. The concert performance of the work was given at the Old Vic, preceded by an introductory talk by none other than Ray von Williams. Hall's success with the Fairy Queen was short-lived in his mind. The following year, he premiered his choral work, The Cloud Messenger, which was received with less than average enthusiasm. His disappointment in this lukewarm reception led him to take a trip. While out on his travels, he accepted an invitation from his benefactor and friend Balfour Gardner to join him and the brothers Clifford and Arnold Bax in Spain. Hall spent two months there with the other men, and throughout his time there, Clifford Bax introduced Holst to astrology. It was from this that sparked Holst's fascination with astrology. This very fascination with astrology was more than a personal interest. Holst was someone whose interests closely aligned with his career, and astrology was something that he saw having potential for music. After this holiday in Spain, Holst wrote to a friend, quote, I only study things that suggest music to me. That's why I worried at Sanskrit. Then recently, the character of each planet suggested lots to me, and I have been studying astrology fairly closely. Holst had a heavy workload as the director of music for not only Morley College, but for the St. Paul's Girls' School, Hammersmith. This workload only allowed him to compose music on weekends and holidays. It was because of this that it took Holst over two years to complete this new suite based on the planets and their characteristics. His daughter Imogen wrote that he had difficulty with large-scale orchestral structures such as symphonies, but the idea of a suite with separate movements was an inspiration to him. If each movement was only to capture the character of each of the planets, then he could easily write this type of orchestral work without difficulties. No restrictions regarding form and total creative freedom. There's a book that Hulse was reading at the time that helped him to shape his orchestral suite, specifically the characteristics of each of the planets. That book is Alan Leo's What is a Horoscope? The book gave him the idea to title each of the movements based on the characteristic that he was trying to portray, even taking the titles of Mercury the Winged Messenger and Neptune the Mystic from Leo's books. However, Hulse decided to order the planets to suit his own ideas, quote, ignoring some important astrological factors such as the influence of the sun and the moon, and attributing certain non-astrological qualities to each planet. Nor is the order of the movements the same as the planet's orbits around the sun, his only criterion being of maximum effectiveness. In the second half of this episode, where I will talk about the suite itself, you will be able to see that the planets is indeed set up for maximum musical effectiveness. The suite is designed to also match Hulse's particular views on the world, and any performance of the planets not performed in full would receive the disapproving glance of Hulst. The first movement to be written was Mars in mid-1914, followed by Venus and Jupiter later that year. Saturn and Uranus were completed in mid-1915, and Neptune later that year. Mercury was finished in 1916, but all of these were only sketches. 
Hulse completed the orchestration during 1917. Aside from his teaching duties, Hulse suffered from chronic neuritis in his right arm, which was also his dominant hand. Because of this, he required the assistance of two of his colleagues at St. Paul's, Vreli Lasker and Nora Day, whom he called his scribes. During the writing of the planets, the First World War broke out. Ironically, Mars was written just before the outbreak, but he attempted to put down his pen to join the military service. He was rejected as unfit due to his neuritis. Everyone around him joined the war effort. His wife became a volunteer ambulance driver. Von Williams and Hulse's brother Emil went off to France together, and several of his composer friends ended up dying in battle. All the while, Hulst was forced to sit back and watch, only allowed to continue his teaching duties in composing. In 1918, just as the war was nearing its end, Hulst finally had a prospective job that would give him the chance to serve. He was to volunteer in the music section of the YMCA's education department, working with British troops stationed in Europe awaiting demobilization. Both Morley College and St. Paul's Girls' School offered him a year's leave of absence. After changing his name from Gustav von Holst to just Gustav Holst, he was appointed the YMCA's musical organizer for the Near East, based in Salonica, Greece. Gardner, that same friend who invited Holst to Spain, knew that Holst might not be back in the country for some time, so as a parting gift, he financed a concert to be performed on a Sunday morning for Holst to perform whatever he wanted. Here is a quote from Adrian Bolt's book, My Own Trumpet. Just before the armistice, Gustav Hulse burst into my office. Adrian, the YMCA are sending me to Salonika quite soon, and Balfour Gardiner, bless his heart, has given me a parting present consisting of the Queen's Hall, full of the Queen's Hall Orchestra, for the whole of a Sunday morning. So we're going to do the planets, and you've got to conduct. The planets was hastily rehearsed, as the musicians only first saw the music two hours before the performance on September 29, 1918, and the Wordless Women's Choir for Neptune was recruited from Hulse students at Morley College and St. Paul's Girls School. They were able to invite 250 to attend what Hulse had considered to be the public premiere. Bolt would go on to give a larger concert of the work just a few months later in February 1919 with the Royal Philharmonic Society at the Queen's Hall. By this time, only five of the seven movements were played, Mars, Mercury, Saturn, Uranus, and Jupiter, in that order. Hulse wasn't around to object. He stated that he would have preferred that the whole suite be performed, but he knew that Bolt was right when he said that a completely new language of this kind, quote, half an hour of it was as much as they could take in. From this point forward, Hulse would complain every time someone would perform an incomplete performance of the planets. He particularly hated when they finished with Jupiter to make a happy ending because, quote, in the real world, the end is not happy at all. He returned to England in June 1919 and himself conducted a few of these concerts of the incomplete suite. The first complete performance of the planets, despite the numerous incomplete performances in between, was on November 15, 1920 with the London Symphony Orchestra. Before I move on to the music itself, I would like to read a quote from Imogen Holst, his daughter, about the premiere under Bolt in 1918. Even those listeners who had studied the score for months were taken aback by the unexpected clamor of Mars. 
During Jupiter, the charwomen working in the corridors put down their scrubbing brushes and began to dance. In Saturn, the isolated listeners in the dark, half-empty hall felt themselves growing older every bar. But it was the end of Neptune that was unforgettable, with its hidden chorus of women's voices growing fainter and fainter in the distance, until the imagination knew no difference between sound and silence. We will continue with a clearer breakdown of the music after the break. music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car And then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. Mars, the bringer of war. Mars is named after the Roman god of war which has become the characteristic associated with the planet. In European astrology, Mars' characteristics are not really any more than being associated with war, 
Hall's depiction is often thought to portray the horrors of mechanized warfare, but it was completed before the First World War began. For Hulst, Mars was an experiment in complex rhythms and obscure harmonies, and simply depicting a battle was not enough. Mars was to express the violence and terror of war. Venus, the bringer of peace. Venus is the counterpart to Mars. Imogen Hulse once wrote that Venus has to try and bring the right answer to Mars. The planet is named after the Roman goddess of love. For this movement, as it states in the title, Hulse shows the more peaceful side of love rather than the large romantic side. In one of his books, Alan Leo called the planet the most fortunate star under which to be born. Mercury, the winged messenger. Rather than display an immaterial characteristic about the Roman messenger god, Hulst chose to portray the activity of being the messenger god himself. It is the shortest of the movements, but in it one can unmistakably hear the god flying around quickly spreading his news. Jupiter, the bringer of jollity. Hulse's bringer of jollity comes from the direct translation of Jupiter, which means jovial king. Jupiter's Greek equivalent Zeus is not always seen in such a light, often depicted as a bringer of hardships rather than joy. But for this movement, Hulse decided to look at the Roman Jupiter as he was named. Saturn the bringer of old age.
This is my personal favorite movement of them all, and I'm not sure why. It's a piece I refuse to analyze because I know if I learn too much about it, I'll stop loving it. This is also Hulse's favorite movement of the entire suite. Saturn is the Roman god of agriculture. I know that seems like a far stretch from bringer of old age, but one of the things that Saturn, aka Cronus in Greek mythology, is attributed to was time. His name can mean both father of the harvest and father time, and the latter is what Hulst went with. Uranus, the Magician Now this is a movement whose title made little sense to me until very recently. Uranus is the only planet in our solar system that orbits around the sun on its side, allowing the two poles to face the sun during orbit. On top of that, it is considered the coldest planet in our solar system despite not being the furthest away. Uranus is also one of the first planets to be discovered in more modern times, so these characteristics of the planet have led astrologers to associate Uranus with unconventional ideas, freedom, and originality. Neptune, the Mystic This is a movement whose title was taken from Alan Leo's book. In astrology, Neptune is associated with dreams, fantasy, projections, artistry, and illusions. With this in mind, I think that Hulse's musical adaptation holds up pretty well. There are times where you feel like you are just suspended in time and can't tell whether you are hearing something or if it's just in your imagination. Using a hidden and wordless women's choir adds to the mystery giving listeners of a live performance the added effect of hearing music seeming to appear from nowhere. This episode of the Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and edited by me, Stephen Chigar, with theme music written by Daryl Banner. Clips from Hulse the Planets were used from IMSLP and performed by the National Youth Orchestra of Canada. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you can leave a rating and a review. Join our community of music lovers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. Here you can engage with our incredible community of music professionals and enthusiasts while staying up to date on news pertaining to our past guests. 
For more information about this podcast and to learn more about the composers, music professionals, and other featured guests on the show, visit alexandriamedia.org slash thecomposerchronicles. This year, I have decided to forego posting a Halloween bonus episode, and instead, I will go ahead and move on to next week's episode. Next week, I'll be joined by a very special guest to talk about the music of Austin Wintry's music for the video game Journey. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, art and culture for the modern era.